The Age of Valor, Volume 1, Heritage, by D. E. Morris. A full cast production, narrated by Conrad Hetzer. There was an immediate sense of urgency when Merrick and his men had departed from the old monastery the previous day. Briac rushed to lower the heavy wood and iron latch, then sank to the floor with relief. Lenny! How did you know? Kinaid took the wet dress Merrick's men had found. I didn't. Ashlyn walked over to help Briac back to his feet. I was just cautious. Your nieces? They believed I was a monk. Why not that as well? Kinaid rushed toward the altar to move the stone back and reached in for the wet clothes they'd managed to shove in before the knights entered. We should burn these. Just to be safe. Ashlyn's lips set into a tight line. Fine. They shall be our offering to the giver since it's all we have. We must leave before morning or they will be back and with more men. Leave? For where? I don't know. I am making this up as I go. We just can't stay here. She is right. Without waiting for further argument, she set the sopping clothes atop the altar, adding sticks of incense before stepping back and kneeling. Briac took up the same position beside her, and Ashlyn stood on the other side of him. Without a torch, or a word to mutter a magic spell, the clothes that should have been too wet to burn were set ablaze in a fire of brilliant sapphire blue and gold. Ashton knelt and bowed her head. Great giver, hear your children. We beg thee for divine protection against those that would mean us harm and halt us on our course. Be with us this night while we prepare for the journey tomorrow. Guide our hands and our hearts so that we may know what is right and what is true to your word, but most of all, what it is you would have us do. Be near us while we are in the restful moments, so that fear may not creep into our hearts. Make our feet swift when the time calls. We ask for these things in your blessed and most holy name. Amen. Ashlyn opened her eyes to stare at the fire, breathing in the thick incense that was filling the room. Briac rose to his feet and shuffled away down one of the annexes, but Kinaid stayed with her head bowed and her eyes closed. Don't be afraid, Nady. I'm not afraid. The younger girl had not moved an inch. I'm simply adding in what it was you forgot. Ashlyn blinked and looked at her sister, the same time Kinaid opened one eye to look at Ashlyn. What did I forget? Kinaid closed her eye again, her head bowing just a bit more. To ask for your own protection? You're the one who killed the king, Linny. If they find that out... They won't. But I thank you for your added prayers. When you're finished, you should rest. We'll be leaving before sunup. Now Kinaid's eyes opened and she looked at her sister. No! I wanted to help you and Briac ready the packs and horses. Briac returned to the main hall and gave the girls a decisive shake of his head. 
No horses. They'll attract too much attention. So, what do we do? Both Ashlyn and Briac looked at Kanade, and she shook her head, curls bouncing about her face. Oh no, no, Linny. You're not experienced enough. Yes, I am. Kanade, it is either that or we are caught and hanged, or worse. But what about Briac? He can't come with us. He would be burned to death. Ashlyn turned to Briac, and Kanade looked at them both in triumph. We have to figure out another way. You'll have to leave me here. No. If we leave you here, they will know something is amiss. Our only hope is to head for Arme on foot and barter for passage aboard the next ship out. Out to where? Home, if we can manage it. If not, as long as it is out of Tyg's kingdom, we'll be safe. For now, get some rest. We leave in a few hours. When war came to the High Kingdom of Voltaine, on the island of Seness of the Celtic Isles, they knew there was no way of winning. But to simply give in would mean being crushed, and even with a sure defeat, they would not lie down to simply die. With Tyg, it was fight or be obliterated. So they fought for as long as they could, until their own king, Nier, died while trying to save his two daughters. His wife had passed while giving birth to their youngest, and he knew if he fell, his children would be taken to Tyg as trophies, and unspeakable things would happen to them. It was only to secure their safety, should something happen to him, that Nier made sure they would be sent away if he should perish. Ashton and Kanade, three and one, were dressed as simple peasant children the day black horses, thick with muscle and weighted down by armor and knights, stormed into the village surrounding their castle. Altain had been warned of the oncoming war, and the town was in a panic. As the capital was taken over by the Black Knight of Tyg, the girls were smuggled out with the smaller, weaker children, aided by an elfin counselor in Nier's court. They were sent east, to an even smaller kingdom, before being separated from the other children and sent south and away from Seness. The small shipping village of Nivar and Sadia earned most of its income through trade of boating supplies, ships, and seafare. The port's backdrop was the majestic Oceana Palace, setting high above on a cliff that reached out to the ocean like an old friend. Nier's younger brother by seven years, King Wesley Stewart, and his young bride Emmeline, could not have children. It had been a great controversy in the small kingdom for a time after Wesley had taken her for his wife, yet Wesley refused to send her away. There were mutterings of conspiracies and plots to get someone else on the throne, but Oceana's kingdom was so small that the talk died down after a while, and the most fantastic ideas were reserved for drunken babbling. Ashton and Kanade's arrival at the palace helped calm the minds of those left worrying. With no one to look after them but the king and queen, they had become next in the line of kin to inherit Oceana, as well as Altain when it was safe. Truth of who they were, and how they'd come to the palace, was never kept from the girls. Wesley and Emmeline raised them as though they were their own. 
never letting them want for anything. Eventually, Ashton lost the ability to be satisfied with her simple life as a pampered princess. She would overhear daily reports on where Tig's men were attacking, new reports to say that some had given up on trying to rebuild and simply fallen to his hands, content to let him leave men there so as not to risk any further war in years to come. Altane was close to becoming one of them, and Ashton rallied. She was young, but there was a strong sense of duty in her. If she could prevent her homeland from being taken over by the Red King, she would do whatever was in her power to stop it, even if that meant killing him to be free of him. She trained with the knights, much to the disgust of her sister, and took a keener interest in politics and social economics. A maid at the castle by the name of Kylin, a young girl from the island of Ebeus and Ashton's closest friend, had said more than once that her people were the grunts of the Celtic peoples, looked down upon by everyone else. That was something Ashton committed to changing. Her goals were lofty, but both Wesley and Emmeline knew if anyone could do it, it would be Ashlyn. Now passing through the rooms of the church, she remembered how her decision to leave Oceana had confused and hurt Kinaid, thinking she was abandoning their parents and abandoning her. It took many late-night conversations to convince Kinaid that she was abandoning no one, but setting out to try and change the world. Kinaid said she was foolish, but ultimately agreed it was Ashlyn's decision and that she would support her no matter what. Little did she know that her support would be taken so far as assisting and murdering Tig. With a lantern in one hand, Ashlyn pushed open the door to the church library and peered in at Briac with scrutiny. The old man had his back to her as he searched for something by lantern amid the books on the shelves. You should be asleep. Briac turned briefly at the sound of her voice before returning to reading the spines of the old tomes. And you shouldn't be. Ashlyn shrugged. She walked farther into the study and closed the door behind her. Lifting the lantern higher, she squinted in the poor light. What are you doing? In every monastery there are hidden passages. I didn't want to say anything in front of your sister, but I doubt very much that this church has been left unguarded. Briac's fingers ran over the books, moving them back and forth. If we can find an alternate passage out of here, it would be preferential to the front door. Agreed. Ashton set her lantern down on the desk and joined Briac, tilting her head thoughtfully. Wouldn't a fort's book be typical, though? If anyone came through here looking for a secret passageway, wouldn't this be the first place they looked? Briac paused and lifted his lantern to look at Ashton's face. I hadn't thought of that. Where would you put a secret passage if you were a holy man? I have never even been close to being holy or a man, so you are asking the wrong person. I do have an idea, though. Come with me. Out in the sanctuary, Ashton set her lantern on the altar so she could take two of the unlit torches from the wall. A thought had them ablaze with blue and gold flames. What we need to do is look for a draft. Briac shook his head slightly 
This place is like a castle. There are drafts and breezes anywhere you go. Yes, but if there is a passage somewhere that's contributing to any sort of air current, then the push or pull to the fire will be greater than any old draft. Stick to the walls. Avoid the windows if you can in case we truly are being watched. And mind the flames. Briac held his torch aloft and moved to the wall. As he walked, he ran his knobby fingers over the stones, dark brown eyes glancing at the flames of his torch every so often, for a hint of some kind of breeze. The rain had not let up outside, turning the cold church even colder now that it was night. Briac pulled his robes closer around his neck, and a shiver passed over his spine just as Ashlyn spoke. I may have found something. Turning, Briac saw Ashlyn setting her torch back into one of the sconces. She was peering curiously at the lantern she set on the altar. What is it? I can't believe I didn't think of this in the first place. Come help me. Briac crossed the sanctuary to return his torch to its rightful place before joining Ashlyn at the altar. Help me get the top off. She set the lantern aside. The old man hastened to the other side and together they moved the heavy stone tablet to reveal the inner compartment. Briac shook his head in obvious confusion and looked at Ashlyn. There's nothing in here but communion bread and wine. She gave him no reply yet again, but grabbed her lantern once more. As soon as she bent over the opened altar, the fire danced as if caught in the wind. Well, I'll be. They hid it under the altar. No one would think to look there. Come on, help me get all of this out so we can see where it leads. Lantern still in hand, she grabbed some of the flatbread wrapped in cloth and set it on the floor out of the way. Once the inside of the altar was free from the communal elements, Ashlyn handed her lantern to Briac and climbed inside to get a closer look. The stone was smooth and inornate, almost seamless to the touch, and Ashlyn frowned to herself. I do not see how this was ever used or how air is even moving underneath. There's no way to lift the bottom of this up. We will have to break through. Break through a holy altar! Ashlyn lifted her head, running a hand through a curtain of messy hair. Do you have another suggestion, then? Briac, need I remind you that there are men waiting out in the rain to capture us the second we set foot outside these sacred walls. We do not have time to look for the thing that will open this for us. But this is an altar of the giver, Ashlyn. Surely the giver will grant us his forgiveness for a thing as small as this. If he has not already forgiven us for the much larger sins we have committed up to this point, then our souls are already damned. She stood and looked down at Briac from her altar perch. You were never as pious as this before. Do not start on me now when our very lives are at stake. Not pious. It's superstition that makes me fearful. Ashlyn climbed out, sparing the older man an unforgiving glance. Well, whatever it is, swallow it down. How well can you see in the dark? Briac shrugged one shoulder stiffly, handing her back her lantern. Well, enough on any normal night. 
And a night with no moon? I'm nervous that anyone outside will be attracted by the light and try to see what we're doing. I need you to be the one to break through the rock, Briac. I may have the brains, but you have the brute. He did nothing to mask his displeasure, but Ashlyn hardly gave it any notice. A thought from her extinguished all light, and the vast sanctuary was flooded in darkness. Use the end of the torch. The metal should be pointed enough so that you may break through. And you? What will you do? I will keep watch by the window. If I see movement... They can't come in without permission. <laughs> yes, so says the law of High King Tyg. Work quickly, Briac. I fear we may yet have to fight before this night is over, and I would not see blood shed in these halls. Though the task didn't sit well with him, Briac wouldn't argue. Ashton moved on quiet feet to the window. Nothing could be seen past the glass, save the cold little rivers of water that ran down the outside of the colored pane that separated her from the elements outside. But she didn't need to see the faces to understand they were there. Somehow, knowing they were wet, cold, and miserable gave her some small amount of satisfaction. At least she, Kanade, and Briac were warm. A sharp clang of metal rang out through the air and she turned her head. Sorry. I tripped. There was a scraping sound as he picked up the unlit torch. And eventually, the first thud of metal against stone was heard. It wasn't nearly as loud as metal against metal. The stone was much softer than expected and helped him work faster. This did nothing to put Ashton at ease, however, and her attention stayed trained on the outside. Lightning gave a brief moment of illumination, and Ashton narrowed her eyes to try and see any movement. I don't think I'm getting anywhere. Keep working. Though she hadn't seen anything outside, Ashton wanted to be out of the church as soon as possible. Linny? Briac stopped working, and Ashlyn looked away from the window as though she could see her sister in the dark. Linny, what's going on? Are you alright? With a sigh, and using her hands to guide her, Ashlyn found Kanade and ran her fingers over soft, messy curls. Everything is perfectly fine. I keep forgetting how light a sleeper you are. The older man took that as his cue and started chipping away at the stone once again, while the two girls went back to where Ashton had been keeping post. Briac and I agreed that if we wait until morning to leave, then we'll be inviting trouble to accompany us. But I do not understand. What is he doing? Where is he? You need not concern yourself with that now, little lady. Just stand here with me for a while. The digging of metal against rock, the rain against the glass, and the occasional roll of thunder became the only sounds for a long time. Eventually, Kanade, sitting with her back against the wall, fell back asleep. Every time there was a flash of lightning, Ashton would unwittingly hold her breath and search the outside as quickly as she could, relaxing only slightly when they were covered in darkness once more. I can't tell exactly how far I've gotten, but in one of the corners I think I'm through to the other side. 
The night felt as though it had been dragging on, but Briak's revelation after one particularly long rumble of thunder had Ashton's attention. She went across the sanctuary to the altar, a small ball of blue and gold flames forming in her hand as she walked. Briak's face was cast in eerie shadows as he looked at her, smeared with dirt from his work. See? She looked in, holding her hand away from her friend so as not to harm him. As he'd assumed, there was a lot of damage done to the inside of the altar, but a lot more than Briak expected. In one of the corners there was a blackness where the rock had completely fallen through to the hidden chamber below. What about using the heel of your boot on that corner? If you stand up so that you're bracing yourself on the sides of the altar and kicked while holding yourself steady, you might get a bit more out of the way. Briak gripped two sides of the altar and stood as Ashton instructed. With a mighty drive of his foot, he kicked downward, and the two of them watched as the bottom gave way. Briak's elbows locked before he could fall through, and he was hanging over a dark pit to an unknown exit. Ashton extinguished her fire so she could help him out, and called to her sister. Nady, wake up! We have a way out! All right, Briak? Did you hear the rocket? When his feet were on the secure ground of the church floor, he bent over the edge of the stone as though he could see to the bottom far below. I didn't hear it hit anything but water. Neither did I. That means we may have a long and wet way down. Hand me one of the torches. Once the torch was in hand and lit with her fire, Ashton peered inside the now broken altar. Ladders of wood and rope hung down two sides. Little else could be seen. There was no telling how safe either ladder would be, and that made her more nervous for Briak than Kanade or herself, for he was nearly twice their size and close to it as well in weight. Curious, she let go of the torch and all three watched the light fall into the unknown. Like the rock Briak had kicked in moments ago, it eventually found rest in murky water. Not too far for a climb. But a far fall. Kanade and I will go down first, each taking a ladder to test the strength and determine the best way down for you. We don't know what's down there. It is a risk we must take, Briak. There will not be any fresh air down there. We're there, Lenny. We have no other choice. If we are trapped down there... I know, Nady. I know. But I won't let anything happen to you. I give you my word. We'll find a way out and you will see the sun again if I have to dig through the stone with my bare hands. Hanging on with one hand, she kissed her other and touched Kanade's face. Down you go. The descent was slow, filled with intentional movements and the occasional crying out as a particularly rotted rung gave way. When a muffled crack and a scream came up through the darkness as one of the ladders split, followed by a splash... Briak practically threw himself over the side of the altar to try to see what was going on. What happened? Canade! I'm alright! But I'm all wet! It's alright, Canade. So long as you're still in one piece, that's all that matters. Are you almost to the bottom, Ashlyn? 
Almost. How far up is the water, Nady? To my calves. Oh, I'm freezing. Good to know. Briac, take my ladder down. I had far fewer breaks in mine than Nady had in hers. She felt the bottom of her dress hit the water, and the cold creep up her legs as she splashed down into it. Kanade reached out a hand to steady her, before looking for the torch that had been thrown down earlier. I'm down. I want you to drop the torch down just the way you're holding it. I should be able to catch it. It will take less energy to keep the fire going on one of them than it would be for me to carry it on my own. Briac let go of the light he'd been holding on to. Ashlyn caught it with both hands and lit the one Kanade had successfully fished from the water. What can you see? Briac called down, not even yet begun his descent. Both Kanade and Ashlyn looked around in the torchlight, though there wasn't much to see. The walls were too close on three sides and covered in slimy growth, leaving them only one way to go, and the light didn't travel far enough to show them anything but a long, narrow passage. Nothing exciting. Ashlyn glanced at her sister. How are you doing? Kanade nodded distractedly, holding her torch aloft. Do not let the flames go out. Looking up, Ashlyn waited for Briac. Are you planning on joining us or what? That's what I'm trying to decide. What? Both girls looked up in alarm. Briac! You cannot leave us to go on our own! If you stay behind and they find we've gone but you're still here, they will kill you! Someone has to cover the altar back up, or they'll know where you've disappeared. I can't do that standing on that ladder. I've already thought it through. Besides, they wouldn't kill a man of the giver. Do you think that matters to them, Briac? That captain, Merrick, he will kill you. He <laughs> of little faith. This is no time for jokes, Briac. I may not be the queen of your nation, but as someone to whom you pledge fealty, I command you to get your ass down here this instant. Such language from a refined lady. With all due respect, your majesty, I do believe this is in your best interest. I'll be all right. No! Briac! Pray for me, and we'll meet again on the misty mountains of the heavens. Even as they protested, the heavy stone was hefted back atop the ruined altar. Ashlyn and Kanade stared up at the way they had come down for a very long and silence-filled moment. Neither could believe what Briac had done, and though she understood his reasoning, Ashlyn was growing angrier by the moment. Come on. Staying won't make him change his mind, and we need to get out of here. Turning, she sloshed through the cold water in the only direction that was open to them. As she moved, a silent prayer went up to the giver that nothing was alive in the waters that could harm them, nothing dead to trip them up, and nothing hidden to swallow them into darkness and make them drown. She found herself praying for Briac's safety as well, not wanting any of them to find their final resting place to be in the very one they all thought would save them. <laughs>